So this morning, we're going to continue our study in 1 Corinthians. We've so far been able to capture uh, the first six chapters. We've covered a lot of ground. And I want you to know if you have not been here or if you've missed different services, you can get online and get right up to speed. Um, up to this point, we've talked about issues of unity and man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. We've talked about sexual immorality. And um, uh, we talked, uh, Paul is really reminding the church who they are in Christ, and he's saying, act like it. Over and over, we've seen that. And so today, as we head into chapter 7, I want you to realize that there's a shift in the letter, shift from addressing issues that are pretty much black and white, um, where Paul's saying over and over, don't you know? Don't you know you're supposed to do this? Don't you know? And he's, he expresses some disappointment, some outrage. Now we're going to cover some areas that are a little more gray, if I could say it that way. And Paul's idea uh, here is really God's idea. We're going to read today, it says, as a concession, not a command. Well, we know that that's all God's word, and it's important. It's all God's word, and it was all written uh, by the Holy Spirit. We understand that. But today, in particular, when we get into chapter 7, which we're really only going to hit the surface of chapter 7 today, uh, but Paul is writing in response directly to letters that he's received from the leadership at Corinth, and they've been asking some questions. And so in verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, Now for matters that you wrote about. And we see that later in chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 12, chapter 16, uh, many different places where Paul is saying, you were asking about this, and this is in response to that. And so today, as we begin to tackle really a huge portion of what Paul is wanting to get across to the, um, to the Corinthian people, uh, we're going to start talking about marriage. And there's about 40 verses here. Today, we're going to try to capture the first seven of those. And you say, 40 verses, if seven today, that's going to take us a few weeks to get through this, and it probably will. But it's a huge issue. It was a huge issue in their culture, marriage, just like it is today. There's so many parallels. And in chapter 7, it talks about marriage and singleness. It talks about divorce. It talks about being widowed and what do you do. And chapter 7 is a very practical, practical uh, chapter in the book. And, and, uh, and Paul, he does his best to, he understands that when he talks about marriage, it, he knows that marriage is never easy. He understands that as he's writing. And how many of you are married? Just give me, give me a quick whoop whoop or a little, yeah, all right. A lot of you are married. Um, we, if we took the time this morning, all of us could share that marriage is not easy, right? In fact, you may have heard of the story of the man that was walking along the beach and he sees a bottle in the sand, he picks it up and he starts to rub it off and poof, a genie comes out. He's saying, and the genie says, ha, I, I will give you one, com, one, uh, one wish, whatever it is. And the, the guy's like, man, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. But he says, but I'm deathly afraid of flying. And so he says, well, maybe, genie. He says, could you build me a road from here to Hawaii? And the genie says, oh, that's a huge request. That's a lot of work. That will not be easy. But just think of the amount of cement and the footings and the deep waters. And he said, and the genie says, isn't there something else that you have wanted? And the guy says, well, I've always wanted to understand women. And the genie says, do you want two lanes or four lanes? 
And the point is, it's hard, right? <laughs> and we don't always understand each other, right? And, uh, <laughs> and so I want you to turn your Bibles. In just a minute, we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, just the first seven verses, like I mentioned. But I want to give you some background, some history here that will help us to understand um, we've been talking about this. You know that the Corinthian church was within the Roman Empire. And within the Roman Empire, there was no marriage code. There was not one way that people got married as a rule. There was actually several ways that people could get married. There was, sa- save. There was slave marriages where two slaves would be married, but the owner still owned them. And sometimes two owners would allow slaves to get married. You say, well, why, men- why am I mentioning that? Because within the Corinthian church, there were slaves within the church. And uh, that was very, very common in that age. And, uh, and so it was interesting that the owner was still in control, and if the owner decided to sell a slave that was married, that, that marriage was dissolved, and there would be a divorce in that case, and very interesting. There was also common law that if you lived with someone for a year, uh, they would automatically consider you married. You could get married by sale, kind of mail-order bride kind of idea, uh, bailout, if, if, or if someone owed you money and they had a daughter or a son, they could, you, they could barter, and uh, there could be marriages that way. But then the most traditional way was very interesting that we see it even in our culture. It was really um, uh, made for royalty, for those that had a lot of wealth, but they would uh, get together, similar to the way we do, they would exchange rings, there would be music, there would actually be a veil, and, as I studied, they would actually eat cake. You say, wow, some traditions don't really uh, die, or they die hard. And, uh, but there was a lot of ways that they could get married. But what was interesting is that um, in that culture, divorce was rampant. So a lot of people were getting married. In fact, singleness was very rare or unique. But at the same time, People were turning to divorce, and we'll talk about that more next week, about the divorce and, uh, over the next couple weeks. Um, can't take the time to do that this morning, but uh, overall, what you need to know before we read this is that marriage was viewed very casually. And because of that, there were a lot of broken marriages, a lot of backgrounds that had been shattered, a lot of dysfunctional situations. And the church is asking Paul, the apostle, to give them some insight into marriage. And in that culture, we talked about it over the last couple weeks, there were slogans. Remember last week, um, they had the slogan, everything is permissible for me, right? Or food for the stomach, uh, stomach for food. Well, we're going to see there's another slogan that's not directly in Scripture here, but the slogan was, went like this. It is good not to have sexual relationships. And it was a Plato model, that there was a higher calling, that if you were uh, practicing celibacy, that of some way that it was elevating yourself. And in the church, there was a group that were advocating for celibacy. And celibacy took a person to a higher level and made them holy. We see that idea even in our culture today with priests and nuns. Nuns, And by the way, as I understand scripture and uh, commentators that I've read um, from from a good biblical perspective, there is really no scriptural idea uh, concerning that. Uh, There's no support for that. But in Corinth specifically, apparently there were married people who were abstaining from sex so that they could be holy. 
And since abstinence might be difficult for some, maybe one party more than another, then they were, being, they were saying, well, maybe we should divorce. And that was being recommended as a viable oppor- or alternative, especially if one partner was an unbeliever. Very interesting. And Paul is saying to all of this, he's saying, come on. He's saying, no. And in the Jewish background, on the other hand, they're pressing people to get married. It was actually considered to some a sin not to get married. And Paul, what I love is what we're going to see over chapter 7 is Paul is providing insight and godly wisdom with singleness and marriage and then with divorce and even with the widow. And so I uh, just wanted to give you that background before we read. Um, and I want you to stand with me. You should be there, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab a copy of God's Word in the back. We're going to read these seven verses and pray. And then we've got a little bit of a task to get. We've got to, um, I'll have to hustle through this a little bit, but really want to see what God is um, speaking to us this morning. Listen to what it says. It says, Now for matters that I wrote to you about, it is, it is good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should be fulfill, or should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Let's pray. Lord, this is an interesting passage. Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word, speak through me today, challenge us, and God, just open up our ears, open up our understanding, and help us to apply your word to our lives, to our circumstances, whether we're young or old, married, single, whatever the case might be, I pray it all in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. amen. You can be seated. Right off the bat, we see Paul addressing. He says, now for the matters you wrote about. He's responding again to a letter from the Corinthian leaders asking for specific instruction in regards to marriage. And then he says, it is good for a man not to marry. That idea of not to marry really has a sense, you could say it is good not to touch a woman. In the Greek there, it means, and they would have understood this, it meant it's good not to have sexual relations. You say, what in the world is God's word trying to say? Well, this particular passage has been misused and abused in church history. When it says it is good, that word is talus, it means it's, it, is, it is good, it's beneficial, it's desirable, profitable, there's an advantage. And what Paul is saying, I believe, is that there is good in celibacy. But what he's not saying here is that marriage is bad, or staying single is better. That's not what it's saying. But Paul is saying there is a value of celibacy. But he's not saying that you're holier, and that's what the whole argument in that culture was. 
The point is it's okay to be single. And I'll tell you, uh, sometimes we struggle with that, don't we? And I know there's some single people, some uh, single adults among us here, and uh, sometimes we struggle with saying, man, the pressure is on to get married, right? And all this pressure from the outside, and you know, sometimes our parents will try to play Cupid, or you know, maybe, and I'll, I'll tell you, I used to get caught up in this. I used to try to be the matchmaker, you know. I see two leaders in the church that are single. They both love the Lord, and I'm saying, Oh, I see it. God, you got to see it. And I'll try to get them together. And you know, Jessica's really helped me in that. She said, Ben, do not do that. Now, it has worked like one time. I, but I tried it like a hundred times. And so, so I, it's not my gift. And so it's important. But there is a pressure sometimes that, okay, I'm single. I feel like I'm uh, not normal or whatever. And the same was true in the day there. And what Paul, I believe, is saying is that, you know what? It's good if you, re, if you do not marry, if, if you can stay single in that. But then he goes on to verse 2. He says, but since there is so much immorality, that same term there is that pornonia that we studied in chapter 5 and in chapter 6, right? But there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. See, the, there's a value. He's saying, yes, it's good, but he's saying it is not easy to live without having sexual relations. And in a sex-crazed society, and I would say in 2014 and where we live in our society, we are all faced with, with, um, with it right in front of us. And for many people, marriage is a good option. I don't see Paul saying here that we should get married to satisfy our sexual desires or to get married to escape temptation. But Paul, what he's doing, he is, he's, he's not reducing marriage to the, just the physical. He, Paul is saying marriage is normal. Plus, there's a physical side to it. Now, with that, I want to just give you a few reasons biblically found these when I was studying. I thought these would give very a good insight to those that are considering maybe the possibility of getting married or one day to be married. Why would we get married from a biblical standpoint? There's six, uh, six reasons. The first one is procreation, right? To be fruitful and multiply. In Psalm 127, it says that children are a blessing from the Lord, and so we want to for procreation. The second reason, we see it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, is for pleasure. If you read through the Song of Solomon, uh, you see the pleasure there that's just you know, blatant right out. And, I mean, when I was a teenager, I used to read that and uh, just study that and look forward to marriage. And, um, but God is in favor of sex inside of marriage, and God's Word talks about that. There's a pleasure. <laughs> Amen, brother. Thank you for that. Amen. <laughs> The third thing is you would get married. Why? What reason? was for provision that a man, I think biblically, it will provide for his wife, for a woman. We see that in Ephesians 5, and uh, it's a commission for us to work and to work hard. There's another reason in Genesis 2, goes way back to the beginning, for partnership. I love when you see it, it uh, when you talk about Adam and Eve being together, uh, many cases there it said God gave them, or they ruled, or you know this idea that there's a king and queen, and there's a partnership that we're better together, right? Number five, a reason that you get married is to really be an example. It's a picture that speaks to us of Christ with the church. We see that in Ephesians 5 as well. 
But then the last thing, and we see it here in the, in the scripture that we're talking about, is for purity's sake, to help maintain a pure life. Now, there's a lot of reasons, and there may be other reasons as well. Uh, but what we don't want to do is we don't want to say, okay, well, there's one of those, oh, the procreation. I'm going to get married just so I can have kids. Or I'm going to get married just so I can remain pure. Or I'm going to get married just so someone will take care of me. No, no, no. Don't get, you don't get married just for one or two of these reasons. They're all apart. And I'm not sure how, oh, good, they're all up there all together. Good. I wasn't sure how that was going to look. I didn't look at these. But we want to be able to capture all of that. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying, look, it's good for a man not to be married or not to have sexual relationship, but since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and we understand that. Verse 3, though, he continues with this idea of, and he's really attacking this idea of celibacy and this higher calling that was in the culture there. And what we're going to see, Paul is not saying, um, uh, is saying not an option for married, this is not an option for married people to be, uh, to, to go without. Listen to what it says. It says, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Pause right there. That word marital duty, that duty is, it has a sense of debtedness, that you are a debtor. And in the Greek, it is an ongoing, continual debt. It's not something you pay and just check off the list. It's something that you continue. That's what you see in that word. And the idea is that we are to love and to meet each other's needs. This is God's design. You owe your mate. You are obligated to meet your partner's needs. It's not just pleasure, uh, but it's not just a privilege. Physical relations are an obligation and a responsibility for those of us that are married. Someone's going to go home and say, you heard the preacher. (laughs) I just know it. But Paul's emphasis here is, look, I owe you. There's a giving, a willingness, voluntarily, selflessly. And by the way, if you cannot give, you're the one that has the problem, according to Paul's philosophy. And we'll see that really expanded over the next couple weeks. Now, sex is not everything in the marriage. We understand that. But it is an important part. And this scripture, in particular, really addresses that. God understands the importance, the connection, the strengthening of coming together. And if someone is limiting, it is a detriment to the relationship. And I'm talking on both sides, and we see that in verse 4. Let's read 3 and then 4 together because they go go in, in line. It says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Then we get some clarity. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. And in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. So it's on both sides, husband and wife. There's a giving up of your rights to your own body. Now, some of us, we hate giving up our rights for anything, especially the rights to our own body. But the idea here is that there is a mutual authority 
over your spouse's body. The idea is that there is a permanent surrender to your partner, not just a commingling of assets, not just, hey, we're going to live together, but no, there's a surrender of everything. And when you look at verses 3 and verse 4, what's happening here is it's prohibiting the holding back of sexual relations as a means for manipulation within the marriage relationship. Sex is a privilege, but it also is a duty. <laughs> All right, amen, amen. Let's continue. Verse 5, it gets better. I mean, it's, it says, Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What is this saying here? It's, it's really attacking that idea that celibacy is, has a higher calling or a higher place spiritually. And Paul is saying, look, stop that. In verse 5, he says here, if at all you can stop for a time to be devoted to prayer, and the qualifiers there, which is important for us to see, is that it's by mutual consent on both sides, saying, okay, for a time to pray. And so it's not, if I could be so bold, you know, when it's you know, time to go to bed and you, and you say, honey, not tonight, that's not what it's saying. It's like, not, oh, I'm just going to pray tonight. No, mutual consent for a time to pray. And when people use spirituality, to control a relationship, it's toxic, is what Paul is saying. If you're withholding sexual intimacy from your partner for any reason, what does it say? It's basically saying you are placing them in a place where they can be tempted. Let me read it again, just so you understand. It says, then come together so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The idea there as I read in commentary, and this is from two or three commentators, is be, that if you are withholding for any reason, you are possibly being an agent of Satan. Very strong, very strong in the text here. And so if it's, you're married, your vow, it's your commitment, don't create temptation. It will be, it'll be trouble if you begin to withhold. Verse 6. He says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. The idea here is very interesting, and we're going to see more of this uh, as we continue. Paul saying, this is, this is the Lord speaking, or now it's me speaking, not the Lord, and we'll get to that, we'll understand that. But here, there may be some benefit to celibacy, is what Paul is saying, within marriage, maybe for a time. But he says, don't do it for long. Certainly, Paul is not commanding abstinence in marriage. That's important for us to see. Paul is saying, look, I don't believe this whole celibacy thing equal holiness thing. And, uh, and that, I really believe that's what Paul's heart is here. And then we'll look at verse, uh, verse 7. It says, I wish that all men were as I am, but each man uh, has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And he comes back and he wraps up this introduction to marriage and he comes back to this idea that there is really a gift to celibacy. I, I see this in the vernacular. Paul saying, I wish everyone 
would be happy single. Now, begs the question, was Paul single? Yes, he was. Was he ever married? Uh, there's debate about that. The reality is we don't know, but it's very possible because he was part of the Jewish Sanhedrin uh, that one of the requirements was to be married. And so was he married? Did his wife die? It's very possible that he was actually divorced, um, but we just don't know. Um, but certainly not at this time. And Paul's saying, look, there's a gift to singleness. There's something special about that that you can't get back once you are married. To be single and not to be tempted, he's saying, man, there's a benefit. To be single and not to be preoccupied with the opposite sex and, and you know, can't control, it, there's something to be said about that. To be single and to give yourself fully to ministry, that's a gift. There's a flexibility. There's a mobility that, uh, that is available for people that are single. And we capture that in that last verse there. Now, the application for today, and, and I know our time, I want to move into this, but I want to take just a few minutes here. Um, you know, the number one, the body's not evil, right? Uh, it's a gift from God. Our culture also should not be dictating what our actions are or our values. Just because around the water cooler, it may be acceptable. Um, you know, you hear stories, um, you know, of whatever, and you're saying, oh, maybe that's normal. No, we need God's word uh, to be our guide, to be our, um, to be our standard for life and for our marriages, for our singleness, for whatever stage we're in. Um, but what I see, um, you know, kind of the big picture here is that Paul He's saying, look, be content wherever you are. Don't seek to change your status, but to love God and to serve God, and there's some benefits. And um, then I want to just kind of hit a few things here um, that, that the Lord was just kind of stirring in my heart. Uh, and I want to kind of speak to those that are single here. And I know we've got several that are. And, uh, and then... Uh, I hope this is a blessing to you, all right? It's really in response to that last verse and uh, how it starts and ends. Um, but the first thing is this, all right? And I know for those of you that are married, you can take these to your single friends, all right? Um, I believe that it is better to remain single than to marry outside of the Lord, okay? And I think that's important to say. Um, there's a scriptural basis to marriage um, that we are not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And so the idea of missionary dating, maybe you've heard that, saying, you know what, I'm going to marry someone that, is, uh, um, you know, that do- isn't a believer, but oh, they're going to be, um, it leads to regret. And uh, we could tell you stories, and we don't have the time to do that, the heartache that comes with that. And, uh, but let me just say this, if you're married, and you're married to an unbeliever, we're going to talk about this in the next couple weeks, um, uh, it doesn't mean that you just bolt either, okay? Uh, but the, ideally, you want to be married um, with, with God as the, the priority. Number two, it's better to remain single than to marry someone who will hinder your walk with God. Let me explain. This is a little different than the first one. Because you could have two believers that are consider, considering marriage, but if they're not leading you closer to God in, when you're courting or when you're dating, don't get married. If you're a Christian, but not leading that, you know, you're dating a Christian, but they're not leading you closer, that's a huge warning. It's a huge warning. And so let that be a warning. Number three, it's better to remain single 
than to marry for the wrong motives. We want to seek God's will. We want others to be able to see inside of that. We want to seek the will of God. We want to talk with our parents. We want to be very careful. And uh, the wrong motive, you know, oh, he'll take care of me. Or, you know, you go back to that list of reasons biblically to get married, right? Uh, You know, oh, I just need a partner. I'm just lonely. No, that's not enough. Or you say, oh, um, you know, I need someone to provide. No, that's not enough. Or, Or I just need, you know, a release. I need the, the, the pleasure, right? That's not enough. The wrong motives. The motives need to be godly. One more, it's better to remain single than to marry without being willing, this is huge, to forego your rights to God and to the other person. This is huge. That one there alone could eliminate, if you understood that going into marriage, it could eliminate divorce. Because if we can forego our rights to God and to the other person, we're going to be happy. We're going we're to enjoy. But I wanted to add one more thing. It's better to marry if you are better together, more complete. If the relationship mirrors Christ and the church, if you can, if you can give more than you're willing to, to receive. And that whole idea in marriage, and we got some people getting married soon, um, we'll, we'll say this, you've heard it, for better or for worse, right? For richer, for poor. Uh, that's very common to be heard at a wedding ceremony. Well, the reality is, is whatever your circumstances is, are today, it could get better, but it could get worse as well. And going in full understanding, saying, you know what? It doesn't matter for better, for worse. We are better together. We can serve God better together. That is what would motivate someone to say, okay, I'm willing to take the risk of getting married. And I know that as we talk about that this morning, that there are some saying, okay, Lord, what, what are you trying to say to me today in regards to these verses? And, uh, uh, and I think there's uh, just some takeaways um, that we want our lives uh, to be fulfilling to God. God is a reason for us to be here. Uh, um, Eva mentioned, you know, our gifts, that, you know, we, we, we all have gifts and abilities, and we want to be able to walk this life out. And Lord, if the Lord leads us to be married, if we're better together, so be it. But if we're not, uh, if we can't justify that, or if we look at this and we can't, you know, uh, we can't come together uh, for the good of both, um, then it's better not to get married. And I'll tell you, church, we need to embrace the singles among us and to not just be encouraging them like, when are you going to get married? (laughs) Or, you know, what's wrong with you? Or haven't you found Mr. Right? Right? And we want to encourage each other no matter what stage that we're in. And uh, and we want to be committed to saying, you know what? I want my life to matter. I want to make a difference. And I know there's a longing in some of our hearts, some of your hearts, to be married. And I would say this. Um, I think this is the best, um, best example. Um, Sarah Craigie, one of the missionaries that we support and we've supported for years. Um, she's a single, she was a single lady in ministry uh, serving at Eastern Michigan. She was a campus pastor there for years. And I remember her saying, you know what? More than anything, I want to be in love with Jesus 
And if, if, uh, if I'm never married, I'm okay. But if God has someone for me that would make me better, I remember her telling me this. She says, so be it. And just over the last three months, uh, we found out that she was going to get married, and uh, she just got married. Some of you might know her on Facebook. And it, it was just beautiful, beautiful story. Um, but a lady that was committed to what God called her to do. And I want to encourage us that no matter what stage of life we're in, that we would be committed to what God has for us. So if you're married, hey, how can we be best together for God's glory? If we're single, how can I be best uh, by myself for God's glory and leave the rest up to the Lord? Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to pray, and then I want us to, uh, in fact, let's stand, and I want to pray. And then if you're here this morning uh, and don't know Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a second uh, to surrender your life to the Lord. Uh, But let's pray first. Lord, I thank you for your word and for this really practical um, section of Scripture um, that Paul is trying to address uh, some questions from the Corinth church. And, uh, but Lord, there's a lot of application today that, uh, that in our own marriages that there's a mutual submission and uh, authority and a, a surrendering of our rights and, uh, to the other person. And God, I pray that those, those uh, truths in this scripture would reign supreme in our own lives and in our own situations uh, but Lord, specifically, as I was praying for those among us that are single, and there are many here, young and old, God, I pray that there would just be a contentment, Lord, a, a contentment and a desire to serve you best. And Lord, if it's your will, Lord, for them to be married, to move in that way, help them to have good boundaries, help them to understand why they would even consider to be married. And Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray that you would seal these moments in our lives together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, before we go, if you're here, um, I want to just give you an opportunity. I don't know everyone here, and I don't know what you might be dealing with or where you may be struggling. uh, But this morning, I believe that God is, uh, in this season of our church, He is allowing us to reach those that that are hurting, that are that are um, uh, that are struggling, and uh, he's also allowing us to be able to uh, capture the hearts of those that don't know Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, and uh, if you were to die today, you're saying, "Boy, I don't know where I'd go." Uh, there's no reason you should walk out of these doors without knowing. The Bible says very clearly that we're all sinners; we all fall short, but we all have a Savior if we choose to accept and believe in Him. And so I'm just asking everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're a believer here today, would you just pray with me that that the Lord would just speak to those that may uh, have some concern or they don't know for sure uh, about where they are walking um, at this season. And Lord, I just pray that you just right now just uh, begin to convict and to, to challenge us to respond to you. Lord, I thank you for uh, speaking to hearts even right now. In Jesus' name. With your head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior uh, and you're saying, I'm interested, would you just lift your hand right where you are and I want to pray for you. Yeah. Thank you. Anyone else? 
and then put your hand up nice and tall if I can see. Yeah, thanks. Anyone else? All right. All right, there's one lady with everyone's head bowed, eyes closed. I want to lead you in a prayer. And this prayer is a magical prayer. It's not the words that are magical, but it's when you believe these words in your heart. And maybe you didn't raise your hand, uh, but you can know for sure by believing that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose. And I want to lead you in this prayer. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, please forgive me for all my sins. I've fallen short, but you have provided a way for me to love you and to know you and to serve you. And so I surrender my life. I believe in you. And I put my faith in you. So Lord, save me. And help me to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.